John's Gospel, the third chapter, Hebrews, the twelfth chapter. Find those two openings. We'll look at some more scripture. We can find them. I'm going to read from First and Second Peter, but you won't be too far away in Hebrews. And then I'm going to read also a portion of scripture tonight from Galatians chapter five. You might find that also. Why don't you find those three openings? John's Gospel, chapter three, Hebrews chapter twelve. And uh, Galatians chapter 5. We'll add a couple of more verses or so as we go along. First, John's Gospel chapter 3. There came a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. I want you to notice the sixth verse particularly. That which is born of the flesh, and that which is born is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, You must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. But I want you to notice particularly the sixth verse, that which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Now in the twelfth chapter of the book of Hebrews, twelfth chapter of the book of Hebrews, first the ninth verse. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. We've had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much more rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits, the Father of spirits, and live? And then here in Hebrews, the same chapter, I'll not take time to read. You can start reading with the 18th verse. Paul's writing to the Hebrew Christians, and he said, We are not come unto the mountain, talking about the mountain that's on fire, and so on, Mount Sinai. But he said, the 22nd verse, Ye are come unto Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and I want you to get this, and to the spirits, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Now then, in Peter, 1 Peter, just turn right on over, you know, James is the next book, and then 1 Peter, first chapter, the 23rd verse. Being born again. You see, I want this for a background. You'll notice we, we read about spirits. Being born again. Spirits that he's talking about is not the Holy Spirit here. He's the father of spirits. 
That's what's born of the Spirit is spirit. He's talking about spirits, human spirits. Here in speaking about the innumerable company of angels, the general assembly of the church of the firstborn, he's talking about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and unto the spirits of just men made perfect. God deals with spirits. Now, notice the verse here, being born again. Being born again, he's talking about spirits being born again. Not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. By the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Then in 2 Peter, the very first chapter, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us, through the righteousness of God and of our Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power has given unto all us all things that pertaineth unto life. The life that he's talking about here is not natural human life, it's the eternal life that we receive when we're born again. I want you to notice the connection, spirits, human spirits, born again, life. According as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. How is it given unto us? Through the knowledge of him. Through the knowledge of him that hath called us unto glory and virtue. Now that fourth verse. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be made partakers of the divine nature. That's God's nature. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now then turn back to the book of Galatians. Notice the 22nd verse. But the fruit of the Spirit I want to stop off long enough to say something. The King James translation, they capitalize the letter S there, leaving the impression with you and me that that refers to the Holy Spirit. I want to point out something to you first and then prove to you from the Bible that it does not refer to the Holy Spirit. Number one, if you're a student of Greek, you know this, that there's only one Greek word for spirit and that's a pneuma. You have to tell by the context whether it's referring to the Holy Spirit or the human spirit. W.E. Vine points out in his expository dictionary of New Testament words that it's very difficult to tell sometimes in Paul's writing. And they refer to Galatians whether he's talking about the human spirit or the Holy Spirit. Now here I want you to notice that he is talking about the human spirit. Now I'll show you why first from the Bible. Now first of all, the fruit that he's about to talk about here is the fruit not of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit does not produce fruit or grow fruit. It's the fruit of the recreated, born-again human spirit. It must have a necessity be because first of all, remember what Jesus said in John the 15th chapter? Jesus said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. Didn't he? I am the vine, ye are the branches. He goes on and talks about the branch bringing forth fruit. Now, where does the fruit grow? Jesus said, I'm the vine, or we'd say the trunk of the tree. You're the branches. The fruit grows out on the branch. We're the branch. 
It's our recreated human spirit that's one with him. The fruit of the spirit is fruit that grows in our recreated, born-again human spirit because of the life of Christ within. Now then, secondly, notice this. The Bible said, notice it said, but the fruit of the Spirit is, what is the first fruit of the Spirit? Love. Notice what the Bible said. We know, John said it, we know that we pass from death unto life. That's talking about the new birth, not talking about being filled with the Holy Ghost or the Holy Ghost. We know that we pass from death unto life. Now, how do we know it? Because we love the brethren. How do we know we're saved? Because we love. Love is the first fruit of the recreated human spirit. Are you following me? That should have never been capitalized. It ought to have been left with a little s because it refers to the human spirit. Now, notice also the joy is mentioned. Peace is mentioned. Remember what the Bible said in Romans 5.1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. That's the justified, the born again, the recreated human spirit. If we had time, which I do not have time, I think you could take all nine of these fruit of the Spirit and find Scripture in the New Testament to prove to you that it's the fruit of the recreated, born-again human spirit that he's talking about here. Are you following me? I am the vine, ye are the branches. Where does the fruit grow? On the branch. Who's the branch? I am. Praise God. Amen. The fruit of the recreated human spirit grows in our life. Fruit grows, you know. Because of the life of Christ within. Praise God. Now, I said to you, and I will repeat some things I have said and then say some other things to you. That uh, you notice in the scriptures that we read relative to the spirit, relative to the human spirit, relative to the new birth, relative to the life of God that we receive when we're born again. The Bible said the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Hallelujah. The gift of God is eternal life. We know that we pass from death unto life. That's spiritual death unto spiritual life. We've done that right now. He that believeth on the Son hath life. He that believeth not hath not the life. Eternal life is not something you're going to have when you get to heaven. It's something that you have right now. It's a life and the nature of God that's been imparted unto your spirit. Praise God. Remember Jesus made the statement. He said this in the first chapter of John's Gospel. Uh, the Bible said in him, talking about, well, it starts with the first verse of this first chapter of John's gospel. It said, in the beginning was the Word, the Word is with God, and the Word was God. And the same is in the beginning with God, and all things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. Later on, the 14th verse, it said, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. But the fourth verse of that first chapter said, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. Now, uh, turn back there. I think maybe you better turn. You know, sometimes we quote these, and I just think everybody knows as much as I know, and found out they don't always. Just turn back there. I think it would be real interesting to you. Turn back there to that first chapter. We were there a while ago at the third chapter of John's Gospel. Turn back to the first chapter. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Light stands for development. You could read that verse like this and it would not do an injustice to the verse. In him was life and the life was the development of men. Now then turn right over to the fifth chapter. 
of uh, John's Gospel, this same book. And you'll find here that Jesus also makes a statement concerning life. He said, For as the Father, that's the 26th verse now, For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself. Now, in him, see, that's saying the same thing, different words. In him was life. In Christ was life. And the life was the light of man. What was this life that was in Christ? As the Father hath life in himself. It was the God kind of life. As the Father hath life in himself. Even so it was given to the Son to have life in himself. Now turn to John 10.10. John the 10th chapter and the 10th verse. The thief is come but for to kill and to steal and to destroy. But I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Hallelujah. Now what kind of life is this? I think it would help us considerably if we'd leave that word life right here in the Greek and just read it from the original New Testament originally written in Greek. The Greek word here for this life, and actually if you study New Testament carefully, you don't get it by reading the English translation, the King James translation. There are four different Greek words translated life in the New Testament. Each one of them means something different. Now this particular one here is Z-O-E. It is pronounced Zoe. Now I'm not a Greek scholar, but the professor of Greek in Baylor University Waco, Texas Baptist Seminary told me that that's the way you pronounce it is Zoe. Yeah, no, I knew that enough by looking at the Greek interlineal New Testament that Zoe is here, all right. But now, he said it's pronounced Zoe. I saw it spelled Z-O-E. Pronounced Zoe. Now, just read that like that and I think you'll get a hold of something here. In him, talking about in Christ, was Zoe. And Zoe was the light of man. As the Father hath Zoe in himself, even so it was given to the Son to have Zoe in himself. I am come that ye might have Zoe, and that ye might have it more abundantly. What is Zoe? It's the life of God. It's the nature of God. Now, did you notice the text there in Peter? Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that we might be made partakers of the divine nature. That's the nature, the life of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is Zoe. That's what it literally says. The gift of God is Zoe. Hallelujah. Zoe, eternal life, everlasting life, which is the nature and the life of God, is not something you get when you get to heaven. If you don't have it here, you won't ever get it. You won't even go to heaven. You go to hell. And there's no Zoe down there. <laughs> Amen. See, some people think that eternal life means I'm going to live forever. Well, if that means you're going to live forever, well, then the sinner already has that because his spirit's going to live forever too. And the only difference is his spirit's going to live in one place and your spirit's going to live in another place. But it's this life of God, hallelujah, that came into our spirits in the new birth that recreated us and made us new creatures in Christ Jesus. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. New creature, hallelujah, with the life and the nature of God in him. Now, what I started to say is the knowledge, I'm sure of this one thing, that the knowledge of the effect of eternal life 
on man's spirit is yet in its infancy. It's strange to me that the church has always majored in the minors. Things of major importance they've just left alone or didn't even know about. They ought to have majored in eternal life. But the majority of church people don't even know what it is, much less the preachers. They majored in little old petty things. Amen, that's the truth. Things of minor importance. I'm glad that I saw a little glimpse of some of this truth years ago as a boy. I was born again. Didn't know exactly what I had, except I knew I was born again. Thank God for that. On the bed of sickness, as a 15-year-old, almost 16-year-old. Then healed and raised up from the bed of sickness, almost at my 17th birthday. And I went back to high school. In the third year of high school, I'd already completed two years of high school when I became bedfast. Now, I know the effects of this life. This used to be one of my favorite verses. As I walked down the street to school in the morning time, I said it to the Lord. And sometimes I preached to the students all the way down the streets. Amen. To school. We walked to school. We didn't have any school buses. And, and I would say to them, it says in John's Gospel, first chapter, the fourth verse, that in him was life. And the life was the light. I knew light stands for development. And, and some translations read that way. The life was the development of man. I've got the life of God in me. It's in my spirit. I'm going to let that life dominate me. Some people wonder, how do you remember dates? And, you know, I'll tell something happened. See, I've got it in my spirit. I learned to develop my spirit. And so I went back to high school, you see, and completed those other two years of high school. I do not have any education beyond high school. I, I educated myself. I went out to preaching at 17 years old. I thought Jesus was coming. I wouldn't have time to go to Bible school because Jesus is coming, you see. And so I took off to preaching. But I got all the books that they taught in the different schools that I wanted to go to and studied them myself. And I knew them so well until I remember one minister said to me, he said, you know that book better than the professor does that teaches it down there in the Bible school. Well, I had that ability. And they tried me out in high school. Uh, I could read a chapter in a history book. Close that chapter up. Immediately. I never read it before. Read that chapter and get up and recite it almost word for word. I never did have that ability until I received the life of God. I never did have that ability until I received the nature of God into my spirit. And, and I never did take one book home to study. And I made a straight A report card. Didn't have to take any final examinations because I made a straight A report card. And, and I remember uh, in second year algebra that I'd said to the professor, you know, and, and I was exempt from taking the test and I was, I was out a whole month because I, I lived that month with some other kinfolks and didn't go to school. And I said, I missed a whole month. Well, he said, we've got 20 chapters in the book and I'm just going to ask 20 questions on the final exam and then going to let you omit two and you could omit that one, chap one question I asked on that chapter and make a hundred on it. Well, I said, would it make any difference if I took the test anyway? I always wanted to take all the tests. I wasn't trying to get out of anything. Well, no, come on, take it if you want to, but you've already passed. So I took the test, finished it in 10 minutes and made 99 on it. I forgot to put into the one dot there, period. <laughs> it wasn't that I was so much smarter than everybody else. I didn't do that before I got this. In fact, I just barely skimmed by. They graded us A, B, C, D, you know, and D's failing. And I had two C minuses. And the teacher said to me in these two classes, we gave you those two points so you'd have C minus. So you'd pass on to the next grade because we thought, well, maybe we missed two points somewhere during the year so that you wouldn't fail. I barely skimmed by. But there was a difference. Now, what was the difference? I'm sure of this one thing, that the knowledge of the effect of eternal life upon our spirits is just in its infancy. I learned a little bit of something about it. 
knowing something about this, I predicted, just as a 22-year-old boy, as a pastor of a church, I predicted how the children, including my own, for they were only babies, I predicted how they'd turn out. Not, not prophetically, not because, because of some spiritual gift, but on knowing the Bible. You see, I knew what I was going to do. I was going to walk in the light of eternal life. I saw some of these members of my church and they were not walking in the light of eternal life. That's going to affect their children. And you know, I never missed it on one of them. Every single one of them, I hit it 100%. Every single one of them turned out just exactly like I predicted they would. You say, what did you predict it on? I'll say it again. On the basis of the effect of eternal life upon our spirits. Walking in the light of it. You see, you may have something, but if you don't know what you got, you don't walk in the light of it, it won't produce the results. Are you listening to me? Now, I knew I do not say that bragging, but I just know that I can do what the Bible tells me I can do. I know I can do what the Bible tells me I can do. God wouldn't tell me to do something I couldn't do. I knew that he told me to bring my children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I knew I was going to do that. And they're going to put the word of God into them. And you can too right now. As your young people set out to walk in the light of life. Hallelujah. We said this, that man's a spirit being. He has a soul. He lives in a body. He's in the class of being with God. When Adam sinned, when he fell, his spirit became estranged from God. His spirit became separated from God. And the heart of every man is unsatisfied. There's a heart hunger, a spirit hunger deep down on the inside of everybody. That's what drives them to do a lot of things they do, trying to find pleasure in the world. This poor old world. You ever get out in the world much? Of course, I don't, but once in a while you're out there somewhere, you know, and they're trying to have a good time. Bless the heart over the silliest little old things you've ever seen in your lifetime, just to playing around like a bunch of monkeys. <laughs> but see, they don't know that there's something on the inside of them driving them, seeking, trying to find something. That heart hunger, that spirit hunger is in the heart, in the spirit, on the inside of every man. It's the most outstanding feature of man, and it'll never be satisfied. Never be satisfied. Until that spirit is reborn, until that spirit is born again and becomes a new man in Christ Jesus, and then you'll find satisfaction. But then your spirit, after it's born again, even after you're filled with the Holy Ghost and speak with other tongues, you need to cultivate, you need to learn to cultivate your spirit. We know this, that you can take physical culture and cultivate your body. We know this, that men have learned how to cultivate their intellect till they become mental gymnasts. We know this, that people found uh, that there's no limit almost to the development of the human mind. But what about developing our spirits? Only the Word of God can tell us. Your spirit is the real you. Now, if you're going to develop your spirit, you're going to have to become spirit conscious. Too many are body conscious. That's about all they're conscious of is their body. I never in all my life, even some spirit-filled Christians, get so tired of hearing them, and all they ever talk about is their body. Yeah, they got a little ache here, they got a little pain there, got a little something here, a little something over there. That's all they ever talk about. about I never think about my body. I go along sometimes for 10 years at the time, don't even hardly know I got a body. I'm a spirit being. Praise God. Amen. Are oh, you listening to me? And that's the reason, that's the reason they live on that low level. That's the reason the devil plays havoc in their bodies because they're so body conscious. Absolutely the truth. You see, your spirit is the real you. 
Your spirit is the part of you that contacts God. Your spirit is the part of you that God contacts. God contacts you through your spirit. He doesn't contact you through your body. He doesn't contact you through your mind. God's not a mind. God's not a man. Jesus said God is a spirit. Your spirit is the part of you that's born again. Your spirit is the part of you that's recreated and receives this life, this nature of God into it. And that's the part of you that should dominate your thinking faculties. The part of you that gives you personality, that gives color to you, is your spirit. Now, here's something, and I went along for years and didn't notice that. I want you to turn with me. You were right there at Galatians. Maybe still be open there. Turn there to Romans real quickly. And I want to prove to you by the word of God that it's your spirit, not your mind, not your body that's born again. And that God, when you're even filled with the Holy Ghost, it's not your mind that's filled with the Holy Ghost. It's not your body that's filled with the Holy Ghost. Now someone said, well, yeah, but the Bible said your body's a temple of the Holy Ghost. I know it. But the only reason your body becomes a temple of the Holy Ghost is because your body is a temple of your own spirit. The Holy Ghost come to dwell in your heart, in your spirit. Are you listening to me? Not your body per se. Now look here at Romans 12th chapter in the first and second verses. Paul's writing to the saints in Rome. He isn't writing to sinners. He's not writing to the world. He's not writing to the world. He's writing to Christians. He's not writing to sinners. This doesn't apply to sinners. Look there in the first chapter of Romans in the seventh verse and see that he addressed this letter to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Notice that. Beloved of God, called to be saints. That's who he's writing to. Well, that's us. He's writing to all that be in Tulsa, wherever you came from, beloved of God and called to be saints. Now notice he said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, he's writing to brethren, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies. Well, see, if your body was already saved and already born again, you wouldn't have to do anything with your body. It'd already be all right. But you do something with your body. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. One translation said, which is your spiritual service. Now notice the second verse. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Now then, friends, the word of God is given to us to fit and to develop our spirits. And when we were born again, your mind was not touched. The new birth is not a mental experience. The new birth is not a physical experience. The new birth is a spiritual experience. You can't tell at the moment looking on the outside of a person to save your life what happened on the inside of them. I learned that many, many years ago. I've seen people come to the altar, cry, pray, jump up just all thrilled, hugged everybody inside. I'm so glad the Lord saved me. Glory to God. Never did see them anymore. Never mounted the hill of beans. Everybody thought, man, they got a real experience because they were quite emotional. I've had other people to come to the altar, just get up and sort of wipe a tear and I couldn't even see one out of their eye. And mumble, I'm so glad the Lord saved me and went and sat down. Became the most stalwart Christian in the church. You can't tell what happened on the inside of a man. 
because of any something on the outside right at the moment. It'll show up eventually out there. Don't misunderstand me, but I said at the moment. And so, notice here, these people Paul is writing to is born-again, spirit-filled believers. They not only were born again, they are filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized in the Holy Ghost, speaking in other tongues. Well, then let's notice something then according to Romans 12, 1 and 2. I said, first, the new birth is not a physical experience. It is not a mental experience. It's a spiritual experience. By the same token, the baptism of the Holy Ghost is not a mental experience. It doesn't affect your mind. The new birth doesn't affect your mind. The baptism of the Holy Ghost and being filled with the Holy Ghost is not a physical experience. That's the reason people that put great emphasis on the physical part, I know you're going to speak with tongues, all right, but put great emphasis on the physical instead of the spiritual and never make it. They become spiritual derelicts on the sea of life. Because the minute then that they don't feel right, they said, well, I lost it. Because they based it all on their physical. It's not a physical experience, it's a spiritual experience. I learned many, many years ago to quit trying to get some kind of physical action from somebody but to get their minds quiet, their bodies quiet, and get them from their spirits, their heart, on the inside of them to receive the Holy Ghost. I've tested it out purposely, purposely, purposely. Just purposely, if you want to call it an experiment. I mean, I had a, a Bible class, I remember one time, just at a home meeting. After the Lord led me into a different type of ministry, and these people are denominational people. They don't know there's mighty few of us. There wasn't a handful of us there that were Pentecostal or had the Baptist Holy Ghost. I never mentioned the Pentecostal experience per se. I just simply, after several nights of Bible teaching, said to the group, if you haven't been born again, there is a new birth. You can be born again. You're tired of being the old creature you were. You'd like to be made a new creature. Several lifted their hands and came. Went into another room to pray. I said, uh, I, you that are born again and know the Lord as your Savior, is there hunger in your heart to go deeper with God and to know Him in a deeper way? If there is, I'd like to pray with you. About six lifted their hands. I put them in another room. I went in there and just sat down with them, read a little bit about from the Bible. I said, you see, God wants us also to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Never said a word about tongues. Never said a word about any kind of physical experience. Never even mentioned it. I said, he wants us to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And if you're born of the Spirit, you have the Spirit. But it's one thing to have a glass of water, another thing to be full of water. See, just because you drunk one glass of water is no sign you're full of water. Are you listening to me? Water is a type of the Spirit, see? So I just said, I'm going to pray with you. And say to you, receive the Spirit. I just experimenting. These people were untaught. They were not Pentecostal. They hadn't been around Pentecostals. And so we just stood up and I prayed for them. And then I said, receive the Holy Ghost. And all of them started talking in tongues just all, all at once. Just like that. Just like that. I didn't tell them to. Hadn't told them to. I was just experimenting around. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. I listen to me. See? A lot of times people try to get physical reaction from somebody. I've heard people in Pentecostal circles tell people, holler louder so God will hear you. Well, God didn't hear you because you hollered louder. That's trying to get a physical reaction. I'd rather get them quiet. Amen. Lift your hands higher so the Lord will hear you. Go through all kinds of gymnastics. Well, it's not a physical experience. Now, notice this. Notice what he's saying here. Analyze what he's saying. These are born-again, spirit-filled people. Born-again, spirit-filled people, but their bodies and their minds had not been affected as they should be by that experience. So Paul's writing to them and telling them that you are going to have to do something with your body. God's not going to do something with your body. He's going to give you a new one one day, but here you have to do something with it. The man on the inside that's born again, filled with the Holy Ghost, you've got the help and the aid of the Holy Ghost to help you do something with that body. 
Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, but I keep my body under. He did something with his body. I bring it into subjection. Lest by any means after I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway, as Martin said, disapproved. What did he say? He said God did something with his body. No, no, he said I do, I do, I do, I do, I do. God wants transfigured bodies. But you're the one, the real you, your spirit is the real you. And it's that man on the inside that must do something with the body. Are you listening to me? Now then secondly, notice he said, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. I'm convinced that that's the greatest need of the church today is a renewed mind. You see, these folks were born again, but their mind was not touched. Because if their mind had been touched by the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, they wouldn't have to get it renewed. It'd already be renewed. It'd already be all right. Notice that he's saying, the Spirit of God saying through the Apostle Paul that it is the Christian that's to do something with their body, not God. It's the Christian that's to do something with their minds. You see, your mind is part of your soul. I used to wonder about that verse there in James. You ever wonder about that? I always stayed off of what I didn't know about, so I just stayed away from it. But I wondered about it. Found it, found out what it meant. Over there in James, he's not writing to sinners, he's writing to Christians. And he said to Christians, receive the engrafted word with meekness, which is able to save your souls. See, your mind's your soul. He said to Christians, receive the engrafted word with meekness, which is able to save your soul. He said to those born-again, spirit-filled Christians, your soul is not saved. See, we talk about souls being saved. No, no, it's your spirit that's born again, becomes a new man in Christ. Are you listening to me? Now, isn't that in so many words what Paul's saying here? Notice what he's saying. Their mind, their soul must not be saved, or it wouldn't need to be renewed. Are you listening to me? Your spirit is renewed. Your spirit is born again. Your spirit is recreated. Your spirit has become a new man in Christ Jesus. Glory to God. Now then, what he's saying is, man's mind needs to be renewed and brought into fellowship with his spirit after that he's born again. That's what makes baby Christians. Is your spirit's born again, you're filled with the Holy Ghost, but if you don't get your mind renewed with the word of God, so your spirit through your mind can control your body, your mind's unrenewed and it'll side in with your body and the two of them will hold you in a fleshly state, a carnal state of spirituality. How are you going to get out of it? Well, get your mind renewed. One translation reads like this, and I like it. Be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your minds that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Acceptable and perfect will of God. Now notice, good, acceptable. Now, another translation, here's what I really started to say. Another translation says, good and permissible and perfect will of God. You cannot know or walk in the will of God the Father unless your mind's renewed. It is only the renewed mind that knows the good, acceptable, or permissible, and perfect will of God. You cannot walk in the will of God, the perfect will of God, unless your mind is renewed. You can't pray yourself into it. Nobody else can pray you into it. Nobody can impart it unto you. The most spiritual leaders of the church can pray for it, but that won't get the job done. Nobody can minister to you. You just won't get it. I remember I was preaching in California a number of years ago for a month, 
teaching every day, preaching every night. One businessman, full gospel businessman, and this was his home church, and he wanted to take me and my wife out every day at noon for the meal. He wanted to take us because he wanted to talk to me. He wanted to get all he could out of us. He always just plying me with questions. And he kept asking certain questions. He kept asking certain questions. And I said to him one day, Brother, I said, uh, a child in the second grade can't understand fifth grade arithmetic. No use me trying to explain that to you. You're still in the second grade. He got it. He's smart enough. He got it. He said, I saw I needed to grow some more. You can't get things over to people unless they are going to develop and grow spiritually. I know a lot of things. I never have even preached yet. And I can prove it by the Bible. It's like I prove what I did tonight by the Bible. So why haven't you preach it? I haven't found anybody that's mature enough to take it. Paul said that same thing. Jesus said the same thing. A lot of things I'd like to say to you, but I can't say you're not able to bear it. Well, listen to me now. You cannot walk in the will of God the Father, your Father, unless your mind is renewed. You will not enjoy fellowship and communion with him until then. You will not enjoy his riches. You will not enjoy his grace until then. Now we are born again, first of all, through the word. His spirit we read here in 1 Peter 1.23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, even the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. His spirit through the word has recreated you. It is the spirit that's operating through the word. Back over here in Acts of the Apostles, we see an example of that. Philip went down to Samaria and preached Christ unto them in the 8th chapter of the Acts. And he went on to tell what was happening. And when it says in the 12th verse, but when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, evidently water baptism, both men and women. Now the 14th verse said, now notice this, now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God. Samaria had done what? Had received the word of God. They sent unto them Peter and John, who were a neighbor, come down, prayed to them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For yet he fall upon none of them on their baptized name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. Now, the apostles heard that the Samaritans had received the Word of God. 1 Peter 1, 23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, even the Word of God that liveth and abideth forever. They were born again. They were born of the Word of God. It's the Spirit that operates through the Word. God makes contact through the Word with your spirit and begins to build into you His life and His nature. He imparts His nature to us. That makes us a new creature. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now go back over to that verse in Second Peter again. That fourth verse particularly. Whereby are given unto us. Now see Peter's writing to people that's already born again. Already filled with the Holy Ghost. Speak with other tongues. Whereby are given unto us. Exceeding great and precious promises. He's talking about the word of God. That by these. Ye might be partakers of the divine nature. That's God's nature. 
the divine nature, God's nature. What is God's nature? It's life, it's light, it's love. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. As a father has life in himself, even so it was given to the son to have life in himself. I am come that ye might have life. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be made partakers of the divine nature. What is the divine nature? That's God's nature. That's God's life. That's God's light. That's God's love. Hallelujah. We're loved children of a love God. I'm born of love. Hallelujah to Jesus. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples because you have love. I get sometimes aggravated with people. They don't know whether they're saved or not. That thought never occurred to me. I said that thought never occurred to me. Somebody comes along with some of their church team. Now you, you're not saved because you don't belong to our bunch. But that'd be like somebody telling me I'm not married because I didn't get married in Oklahoma. I got married in Texas. Somebody said you're not saved because you haven't been baptized in water the way we baptize them with a certain formula that we got. They tried to tell me that as a teenager. I laughed in their face and been laughing ever since then. Well, I knew I was already saved. Already had the nature of God in me. And I loved them in spite of their ignorance. Just loved them. Blessed be God. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples because you've been baptized in water standing on your head. No. By this shall all men know, Jesus said, that you're my disciples because you have love one toward another. We know. We know that we're passed from death spiritual death unto life because we love the brethren. That's how we know it. That never disturbed me. I've never been disturbed. The thought never occurred to me I might not be saved. I hear somebody preaching on the radio. They've got their plan of salvation all worked out. You got to come along with me and my bunch. Nobody's going to make it but just me and us. Well, it would be funny if it wasn't so pathetic, but see, that disturbs people whose minds are not renewed with the word. Bless their hearts. And baby Christians, it gets them all disturbed. I might not make it. I might not make it. The devil never has told me. The thought never occurred to me. You might not be saved or you are not a Christian. That thought never occurred to me. If it did, I'd laugh at it. So many Christians, I've talked to them all the time. So many Christians, even born again, are afraid that I won't make the rapture. Maybe if Jesus was to come, he is coming. No matter what you believe about the rapture, Jesus is coming. He said he was. The angel says he was. The Bible says it. He's coming back. He's coming. Are you listening to me? He's coming. And a lot of people say, I might not be ready. I might not make it. That thought never occurred to me. That thought never occurred to me. That thought never occurred to me. Now why? It's because, you see, they're all body conscious, all mind conscious, and they're all tangled up with observances and with all kind of religious rigmarole. But when your spirit, bless God's in fellowship and in communion with him, you just know. We know, we know, not be guessed so. We're talking about spiritual development. It begins by being born again. It begins by knowing who you are in Christ. It begins by letting the love nature of God that's been imparted. No, that love nature is not yours. You didn't have it till you got it from him. The love of God's been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. The love of God's been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. I have the utmost tolerance for folks because I was like them one day. Some folks get all high about the youth, you know, and about the hippie movement and, and all of these things, you see. Well, it never particularly bothered me. I knew they couldn't help but be that way. Their nature's all wrong. In fact, there was a time 
I remember my oldest brother, he and I used to, when we were boys, we made a pact between us that when we grew up, we was going to kill our daddy. And the only reason we didn't kill him is because the guy got saved. Just as sure as God made green tomatoes, I'd have killed him. I mean, I thoroughly intended to kill him. I'd lay awake at nighttime as a nine and ten-year-old boy figuring out how I was going to do it. I had murder in my heart, hatred. I fully, thoroughly, 100% intended to kill him. He left when I was six years old and left us. Well, my mother, folks didn't want to marry him to begin with. He came from a good family. Don't misunderstand me. It's not because he wasn't a good family. His daddy was a millionaire before the crash of 28. He did have enough left that he gave all of his children a farm and all of them a home in town. That was something for those days. The reason they didn't want her to marry him because they knew it would be a bad marriage. He was an only boy. He had four sisters. He always got everything he wanted. His daddy just handed him out whatever he wanted. Well, how did he know how to make a living? See, and after the crash, his daddy did give him all some property, but then he had nothing else. He couldn't give him anything else. He didn't have anything. He had one farm left for himself, and that's all. But he'd ever had everything handed out to him. He had never been taught to work. How's he going to take care of a family? My grandfather told me on my mother's side, said, I spent $1,000. I put him up in business again and again and again. He'd run through with it. You know, and as a little kid, I never remember much in connection with him because he's gone nearly all the time and left. Well, poor old mama, bless her heart, she had said to her folks, well, if I, they didn't want her to marry him, they tried to talk her out of it. Not because they didn't like the family, but because they knew that he was selfish. They knew that he'd always had everything his way. He's going to still want things his way. And it's going to be a hell on earth. And then mama, you see, said, if I make my bed hard, I'll lie on it. Well, poor old mama tried to. She is too proud. She wouldn't go back to her folks, although my grandfather on, a, on, on my mother's side was well off financially. But she wouldn't go back and ask them for anything because she, she had done the very thing they told her. It turned out the way they told her it was going to turn out. She's left with three, four small children. The oldest one, ten. The youngest one, six months. I was the third one, six years. One, ten, one, eight, and me, six years old. My youngest brother, six months old. With nothing to try to make a living for. So she tried to make a living for us until her health, see, with all the trouble she had. She had a complete nervous, physical, and mental breakdown. And we didn't have anything to eat. I remember a six-year-old boy, just about starved. A neighboring boy come out with a peanut butter and cracker sandwich, broke two and handed me one. I smelled it and fell in the yard and fainted. I was so hungry. And so this lady here contacted my grandparents and they came and got on my mother's side and they came and got us. And life wasn't easy. Now, Grandpa would do what he could for us. He owned more than one farm, and he sold a farm, one of them. And he divided it between the three children he had, because people in the natural are jealous of one another. They're afraid somebody's going to get more than I get. And so he gave each one of the other children their money, and he put Mama's money up in the bank to run us. And I'll tell you, that money just kept on running, just kept on running, just kept on running. For years, it was there in the bank. Well, of course, he must have added to it. It wouldn't last that long. But nonetheless... He had to be careful about those things. But kicked around by kinfolks, cussed over, spit on. I'll tell you the truth about it. You grow up all twisted on the inside. And I'm going to tell you the real truth about it. And then I was afflicted physically. I couldn't run and play like other little children. I couldn't take up for myself. I couldn't fight. I mean, even in school, the girls could whip me because I had a heart condition. If I exerted a little bit too much, I'd pass out 
fall out. And I'll just be honest with you, I hated nearly the whole world. I just hated nearly everybody I met. And like I said, me and my oldest brother, we made a pact that when we get grown, we're going to kill him. We're going to find him wherever he is. We're going to run him down and we're going to kill him. Just as slow as we can, make him hurt all he can. And we fully intended to do it. I'll be honest, we wasn't just talking as kids talking. And so I couldn't fight. Now my oldest brother, you know, you saw him around here, six foot four. He grew up time he's 15, up six foot four. And he'd never put up with a thing off from anybody. I mean, you say one word to him, he had you whipped. I saw him there take on four men right on the streets and whip all four of them when he's a 17-year-old boy. You said one thing he didn't like because he grew up with a chip on his shoulder. He's got you hit right in the face before you can say scat. <laughs> I can understand what made him like it was. I felt like that, but I couldn't do it. I didn't have the strength to do it. <laughs> so, I was sneaky. <laughs> Somebody said something I didn't like. I made a mental note of that. And I'd watch them. I'd find out which day they walked, if it's going to school, if it's school kids, in the second grade. And I'd hide. Sometimes they'd cut down through the alleys going to school, and I'd hide in that alley. And after they went back, I'd hit them in the head with a brick bat. <laughs> Leave my line there and go on to school. <laughs> Stand there over them and cuss them out. <laughs> and hope a thousand times they're dead. I've had grown people that didn't do me right, I thought. And I'd watch them because I couldn't run, play. I'd sit around and I'd watch. I'd see, you know, how they went. Their pattern of walking. No streetcars in town or buses. Maybe they'd come off from work, you know, and they'd go through a back alley. Grown men, I'm just a kid. Nine, ten years old, 11, 12. Always little to my age. In fact, Dub used to say when I was little, he'd say, uh, when you grow up, You'll never be any bigger than Beecher Ball. Now, in our town, there's a fellow by the name of Beecher Ball. <laughs> He's about that tall. He wore a cowboy hat, cowboy boots, cowboy chap. Those leather chaps are heavy, you know. Full cowboy regalia with all of it on. He weighed 79 pounds. <laughs> so Dub used to say, when you grow up, you'll never be any bigger than Beecher Ball. Or when you get to be 12 years old, you'll turn into a girl. And time he got that out of his mouth, he's a running. Because he knew I couldn't find him, but I'd get something knock him in the head. In fact, I did knock him in the head with a hammer one time. He's been addled ever since then. It's not funny, but I really did. Well, now here's a man. Here's a grown person. I mean a man, but he said something I didn't like. I just wouldn't take anything. See, now, Dub was big, and he could take care of himself. He wouldn't take it off of it. But see, I acted like he didn't say anything, but I made a mental note of it. And I got, saw his pattern. He come from work, and in the wintertime, sometimes it gets dark early, you know. And I, I, I would stand, you know, like, for instance, in an alley, I'd climb up in the entrance, you know, where they unloaded stuff in the, in the store, you know, those old stores, and there'd be a little, little ledge there. And I'd get me a half. I couldn't hold. I wasn't big enough to hold a whole brick. I'd get me a half a brick. <laughs> You see, he's come walking along whistling in the darkness. Hit him right in the face with that brick. Hit him right in the face with that brick. You know, just mash his nose all over. I thoroughly intended to kill him. The only reason he didn't die is because I didn't have enough strength to, to get it over to him. Now, I know that's not funny. 
I don't know what you're laughing about. He didn't think it's funny. Because sometimes you'd knock them out and just leave them laying there in the alley. Run off and leave them. I was mad at the whole world. That's what I'm trying to say to you. Mad at the whole world. If I could have killed him, I'd have done it. But I got born again. Aren't you glad I did? <laughs> Amen. I got born again. I got born again. My nature changed. I'm talking about my spiritual nature. I still had the same old fleshly nature. That's the reason I had to do something with my body. But on the inside of me, I changed. I knew I'm a new man. After I was healed, raised up in bed with friction, some of my kinfolks did me wrong. Well, now my mind hadn't been renewed with the word yet. See, I'm still a baby Christian, so I thought to myself, well, I'll just give them the old treatment. <laughs> in this case, it wasn't so bad. I said, I'll never speak to them again. I, some of my kinfolks tell I did get saved, ever spoke to them again. I'll never speak to them again the longest day I live. Never speak to them again. Never. I'd see them coming down the street. I'd cross the street in the middle of the block, keep them meeting them. Or I'd turn my back on them, look in the store windows they pass by. Once I set my mind and head to do something, I'd do it. Do the same thing spiritually. Nonetheless, this person had done me an injustice, some of the kinfolk. So I saw him coming down the street meet me uptown, right down the main street. The thought flashed across my mind because my mind's not renewed yet. I'm talking about spiritual development now. My mind hadn't been renewed with the word yet. The thought flashed across my mind. I'll just give them the old treatment. In fact, I started to go across the street in the middle of the block to keep from meeting them. But there's something welled up, see, on the inside of me. The Bible said the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. Again, the Bible said the love of Christ constraineth us. There was something on the inside of me constrained me. And I remember I stopped. I didn't step off of the curb. Tears came to mind. I said, well, that dear person can't help but act that way. Look the way I used to do. They can't help but act the way they did. Their nature's all wrong. They're a child of the devil. They can't help but do that way. And instead of leaving them, I went to meet them, smiling, stuck out my hand, shake hands with them right on the street, said, I want you to know that I love you. I want you to know that I'm praying for you. I want you to know that if it helped you, I'd get down here on the sidewalk and kiss your feet. And you know, they just started to boo me. Yeah, pray for me. I need it. I need it worse than anybody in town. Pray for me. I sure want you to pray for me. I said, I'll do it. I'll do it. <laughs> I found out that's so much better. You see, that's my way. That's God's way. That's your way. Love. Hallelujah to Jesus. Love is God's way. It's your way. We're children of a love God. We've got the nature of God in us. It's love. I know what you're going to do, but I'm going to love people in hell. And the, here, here's where the development of the human spirits begins. To walk in love. Get your mind renewed with the word of God. And let that word dominate your thinking. And you will begin to develop your spirit life. Now you know the great majority of men and women are failures. I'm talking about Christians, not just men and women in the world. Are failures. Now you know why? Because they've never renewed their mind with the word of God where their spirit can dominate them. You see, success only comes through your spirit gaining the dominance over your intellect. Wisdom is the paramount need of man, and it's spiritual. Wisdom is a thing of your spirit. And until your spirit gains the ascendancy in you and dominates your thinking, you'll never have a great deal of wisdom. And until you have a great deal of wisdom, you'll not have much success. You cannot develop spirit wisdom 
without meditating in the Word of God. That's how it comes. Remember a scripture we gave you way back over there in Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. Thou shalt make thy way prosperous. Thou shalt make thy way prosperous. Do you want your way to be prosperous? And thou shalt have good success. Thou shalt have good success. One translation said, Thou shalt be able to deal wisely in the affairs of life. I like that translation. You wouldn't have good success unless you could deal wisely in the affairs of life. How is it going to come to you? By meditation in the Word of God. By meditating in the Word of God. That's exactly the way it comes. That's how you begin the development of your spirit, of your human, born-again, spirit-filled spirit, is by taking time to meditate in the Word. The most giant steps that I've ever taken spiritually. And the, the greatest growth in my own spirit has come as I would lay on my bed and meditate upon the Word, sometimes for hours at the time. Meditate. Think upon it. Amen. Repeat it over and over again to myself. Meditate on it. The development of your spirit means more in life than any other one thing. Now notice this. Here are some Bible facts concerning the development of your spirit. Remember what Jesus said in John, the 14th chapter, 16th verse, I will pray the Father. He shall give you another comforter or another helper that he may abide with you forever. Now you see, Jesus is talking about not just one work of the Spirit. The Holy Ghost hadn't come yet. People had not been born again yet while Jesus was on earth. He forgave their sins, but that didn't mean they were born again. Folks in the Old Testament had their sins forgiven, but their spirits were not reborn. And so, the Holy Spirit, through the Word, is going to recreate your spirit and make you a new man in Christ Jesus. And then as you yield your spirit to the dominion of the Holy Spirit through the Word, he then will guide you into all truth. Look at the 16th chapter of John's Gospel real quick in the 13th verse. Notice what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit when he has come. The comforter, the helper that he was to send, that he's going to send. Is it expedient for you that I go away? For I go not away, you'll not come, he said. But if I go away, I'll send him unto you. Now, how be it? That's the 13th verse of the 16th chapter of John. How be it when he, the Spirit of truth, has come? He will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself. So he does speak, all right, but he doesn't speak of himself. But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me. Talking about himself, Jesus. For he shall receive a mine. The Holy Spirit shall receive a mine, and he'll show it unto you. He's going to reveal Christ to you. He's going to unveil the truth to you. Or, another translation said, he'll guide you into all reality. See, truth is reality. I like that translation. He'll guide you when he's come. We're talking about the development of the human spirit. The Holy Spirit's come. He'll guide you into all reality. Reality of what? The reality of spiritual things. The reality of spiritual things. That's the reason that I want you to learn to get quiet before the Lord and to meditate upon the Word. Because it's the Holy Spirit that's going to guide you into all reality. Oh, hallelujah.
Hallelujah. Well, the Holy Spirit communicates with your spirit through the Word. And He unveils these truths or these realities to you. And it'll make a master of you. Hallelujah. Now, most men do not meditate in the Spirit. I'm talking about even in the church realm. I'm talking about even charismatic circles. I'm talking about even full gospel, Pentecostal circles. They live in the realm of the flesh more so. They're more body conscious. Their meditations are guided more by the natural than the spiritual. But you can develop your spirit life until you dominate circumstances. You can develop your spirit life until you're more conscious of spiritual things than you are natural. Until you're more conscious of your spirit than you are your body. And you won't get there overnight now. Until you're more conscious of your spirit than you are your mind. Until you're more conscious. Until your own spirit and the Holy Spirit and Jesus and the Father God and the truths that he unveils will be more real to you than the automobile you drive. They'll be more real to you than your wife that lies in the bed beside you at nighttime. But you won't get there overnight. It takes time to develop. Because your spirit becomes a partaker of the divine nature, the nature of God. We read that, whereby given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these we might be made partakers of the divine nature. The more you'll meditate upon those exceeding great and precious promises, which is the word of God, your spirit partakes more and more of his nature. You, your spirit, can come into vital union and contact with his spirit and with God the Father himself. Now, it's not your intellect. It's not your body. But it's your spirit that fellowships the riches of his grace. Praise God for everyone. Your spirit with God's nature in it can fellowship on terms of absolute equality with God himself. Hallelujah to Jesus. Hallelujah to Jesus. How to develop your spirit? You begin by being born again, filled with the Spirit, then walking in love. Read 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through the 8th verse every day for a month. Read the Amplified Translation and just practice that. Your spirit will grow by leaps and bounds. Meditate on it. And then meditate on the Word of God, primarily on the New Testament. I'm not living under the old covenant. I'm living under the new. And another thing I've always done, I've always fed on the epistles. Those are the letters that are written to me. I've spent most of my time in my private meditations and study in the epistles. Those are the letters that are written directly to me. They're written to the church. Those are the ones that tell me who I am in Christ and what I have in Christ. Praise God forevermore. And your spirit will just soar to the highest heights. Develop. Start now. Young people, start now. By meditating on the Word, becoming so spirit conscious. Don't depend on the body. Don't depend on your body. Don't depend on an alarm clock to wake you up. Everything in the natural that you have to depend on becomes a crutch to you. We never had an alarm clock in our house until my mother-in-law, after my dad-in-law died, my mother-in-law came to live with it. She always liked an alarm clock. Ticks away there, you know. We just always wake up. I've got it in here. I, I set it in here. I say to my spirit, it'll tell it when I want to wake up. I remember I was holding a meeting one time in Graham, Texas, and I'd stay in the motel, and I, I'd gotten off sleep. You know, and sometimes you just sleep so sound. You know, you can just sleep so sound sometimes, then wake up, and you feel so relaxed and rested. Well, it must be, it must be 8 o'clock in the morning, I thought. I've got to get up and get to my 10 o'clock service. 
It's dark, but I had to, you see a Venetian blind pulled and then drapes over that so it would keep the light out. And I thought, well, it's probably cloudy anyhow. And I just felt so rested. I got up, I said to myself, I wonder what time it is. And on the inside of me, my spirit never sleeps. Just spoke up and said, it's four o'clock. And so I just turned the light on and looked. My watch said, it's four o'clock. Amen. See, my spirit don't ever sleep. My spirit knew exactly what time it was. We've never really come very far in the development of our spirits. Most of the development in the church world has been soul development, intellectual or emotional development. Are you listening to me? But there is spirit development. How are you going to begin it? You're going to begin by being born again, filled with the Spirit, walking in love, meditating on the Word. Meditating on the Word. Take time to meditate. Put God's Word first. A verse we've been giving folks here over in the healing school, a portion of Scripture, not just one verse. Proverbs 4th chapter, the 20th through the 22nd verse. My son, attend to my words. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. For they, they, my words, are life. There's that word life again. Life. Whereby are given us exceeding great and precious promises that by these we might be made partakers of the divine nature. My words are life. God's in his words. The life of God's in his words. The nature of God's in his words. In the word of God. By building that word into your spirit consciousness, you're building God into your spirit consciousness. You're building the love of God. You're building the nature of God. You're building the faith of God. You're building the life of God into your spirit. My words are life, 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 life unto those that find them. And they, my words, are health, health to all their flesh. Margin said, the Hebrew says medicine. My words are medicine to all their flesh. I don't think we've plumbed the depth of what that portion of Scripture is actually saying, yet we've touched it. We need to realize this, friends, that diseases, I got on this a little bit last night, let me talk a little bit more about it in conclusion. Diseases are spiritual. Jesus does not bring us in contact with mental things. Jesus brings us in contact with spiritual things. Now, medical science says that disease is physical. I know it's manifested in the physical. But Jesus does not bring us in contact with physical things. He brings us in contact with spiritual things. Doesn't he? Remember the text we read? How be it when he the spirit of truth? Another translation said when the spirit of reality. Oh, glory to God. The Holy Ghost is the spirit of reality. When the spirit of reality has come, he'll guide you into all reality. Hallelujah. He'll guide you into that which is real, into all reality. He'll take the things of mine, Jesus said, and show them to you. Now, you can't get a hold of that with your little old peanut brain. There's no use trying. That's beyond your conception. But though your head's going, your mind's going like a shutter trying to get a hold of that, if you look down here on the inside of you, there's something turning flips. Because your spirit knows it's so. Your spirit knows it's so. Jesus brings us in contact with spiritual things, not mental. Spiritual things are as real as physical things. As real as mental things. 
and your spirit can reach the point where the things in his word will become as real to you as some loved one is real to you. Hallelujah. Because he said, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he'll guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself. Whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He will take the Holy Spirit. We're talking about spiritual development. The Holy Spirit will take the things of Jesus, the things of God the Father, and will unveil them to you, show them to you. Here's one way to get the sick. I think the best way to get the sick healed. Here's a, here's a truth that I almost said I stumbled upon many years ago. And I don't tell people what I'm doing because they wouldn't accept it. So I don't tell them. I just go ahead and deal with their spirits. I want an action from their spirits, not their minds. I know I've got to go through the mind to get to the spirit because your mind's a door to your spirit. I know that. But you see, in, in getting sick people healed, you've got to deal with their spirits. Because see, faith and loves of the spirit. Fear is a spiritual thing. It's not a physical thing. It grips you physically, but it's a spirit. Remember what Paul said there right in the Timothy? God's not given us a spirit of what? Fear, fear, fear. Fear, these things are, are, are spiritual things, spirit things. Are you following me? Well, some of you are and some of you are not. Don't throw it away because you didn't get it. Keep it. Keep chewing on it. Chew it up real good before you try to swallow it because if you don't, it'll choke you. But chew it up real good. Just keep chewing on it to get chewed it up real good. And you'll see it by and by. You see, disease and sickness was not laid on the physical body of Jesus. It was laid on his spirit. I know they whipped him. They beat him. That's something the Roman soldiers did. But look there at Isaiah again, 53, 4. Look at it. Look at it. See what it said. See what it said. Not what I said. Not what you think. What does the Bible say? Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Now, if you've studied that a little more deeply, you know this, that the Hebrew Bible originally said, surely he has borne our sickness and carried our pains. Well, now, did he bear them and carry them physically? Now, notice what he said. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. That's not something the Roman soldiers did to him. That's something God did to him. Stricken with our diseases, smitten with our diseases, stricken, smitten, afflicted. This, you see, is talking about his spirit, not his body. The Roman soldiers was the one that, that whipped him nailed him to his cross, but he laid on him the iniquity of us all. On his body? No. He made him sick, the Bible said. Was he sick physically? No. But you see, the cause of sickness is spiritual. Sin's manifested in the flesh, but there's a spiritual cause behind it. Sickness is manifested in the flesh, but there's a spiritual cause behind it. He laid on him Disease was laid on Jesus' spirit. His spirit was made cancerous with your cancer, not his body. His spirit was made sick with your asthma, not his body. His spirit was made sick with whatever disease you have, not his body. He wasn't sick in life ever. He wasn't sick when he was being flogged and whipped. That's not sickness. That's just an outward sign to let us know what happened on the inside. He was made sin. He was made sick. I'm talking about his spirit. The word heals your spirit. That heals your mind and your body. 
Take people the healing word that are sick. The healing word. The 107th Psalm. The 20th verse we've given you said, He sent His word and healed them. Talking about Israel, but the same thing's true concerning us. He sent His word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. He sent His word and healed them. The word that He sent, I'm going to keep saying it till you get it. Once in a while, somebody will catch on to it. The word that He sent under the old covenant was spoken through the prophets. The word, the healing word, the word that he sent under the new covenant was the Lord Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The word was made flesh. The word existed. We're talking about his spirit now, see. Existed before he took upon himself flesh. Thou hast prepared me a body. Get it? In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And the word was made flesh. The word. He sent his word and healed them. Get it? He sent his word and healed them. Matthew 8, 17, himself. 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 Who's himself? The word. The word. Himself. Jesus. Himself. Took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. I know of a dear woman. Doctor said she had to have operation. Better do it in a hurry. She's got cancer. It can spread too far, too quick. She saved, filled with the Spirit, but she became panicked. But a good godly minister, friend of mine, just went and sat down by the bed, began to point these scriptures out to her. She lay there for a while and just meditated on them. My cancer was laid on the Spirit of Jesus. He is the healing word. He is in me. I am healed. As she lay there meditating, the Holy Ghost will take the things of mine and show them to you. And within the hour, Every pain left, every symptom left, the cancer left. She got up and went about her business. The last count I had of her still alive. No prayer was made for her. No anointing with oil. That's usually for those that are babies and can't care for themselves. Just meditating on the healing word. He sent his word. He sent his word. And healed them. Under the old covenant, the word that he sent to heal them was spoken through the prophet. Under the new covenant, the word that he sent was the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, forever. The Word never changes. So He never changes, for He's the Word. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my Word will not pass away. All flesh is as grass. The glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, the flower thereof falleth away. But the Word of the Lord endureth forever. Forever, O Lord. The psalmist said, Thy word is settled. Forever thy word is established, the margin says, in heaven. In heaven. What word is that? That's the written word and that's the living word. Because the written word is given to us to unveil to us the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ. He sent his word. There are people getting healed right now while I'm talking. I mean the manifestation coming. He sent his word. He sent his word. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ is the word. He sent his word. He's in you. The healer's in you. The healing's in you. It's in your spirit already. Let it manifest itself in your body. It's in your spirit. 
Christ in you, the hope of glory. Hallelujah to Jesus. Hallelujah to Jesus. Meditate on it just a moment. Get quiet. Don't, don't, don't be noisy and buzzy. Get quiet. Meditate on it a moment. Quietly. Quietly. Quietly think. Say to yourself, inside yourself, mutter it to yourself. He's in me. Christ, the word. Christ, the healer. He's in my spirit. He's in my spirit. He sent his word and healed them. He's already sent that word to me, to my spirit. Christ is the word. Christ is the word. The healing words in my spirit. For it is God who is at work within you, both the will and the do of his own good pleasure. He's working in the, let him work out from your spirit into your body, into your mind. It'll heal your mind. It'll soothe your mind. It'll heal your body. Every nerve is, is soothed. The cancerous condition is dissipating and disappearing. It's leaving now. Oh, hallelujah to Jesus. Hallelujah to Jesus. The heart condition. The heart condition is leavening out. The heart is beginning to beat with rhythm. Many a times I've had my heart out of rhythm. And I just said this. And it immediately began to beat with rhythm. Immediately. The healing's in me. I'm not seeking for it. I have it. I'm not crying out for it. I have it. Jesus is the healer. Jesus is the deliverer. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hallelujah to Jesus. Glory to God. He sent his word. He's the word. Hallelujah. The written word unveils to us the living word to tell us what the living word means to us, to tell us what the living word will do in us. The written word, see? He's in there. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. They, my words, are life to those that find them in health, all their flesh. Glory to God. Father, we wait a few moments before you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I know that, Father. There are those that's getting it. The life of God. The life. The life of God. The God kind of life is being made manifest, not only in their spirits, but in their bodies even now, even now, even now, even now, even now, that life, that life, that life, that life, the light of God, the nature of God, which is life and light, is coursing its way through their veins, through their body, bringing health, bringing healing, bringing life. Oh, glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah to Jesus. From the top of the head to the soles of the feet. Blessed be God. And dear Father, with some of us, with some of us, we're conscious of that life. Pulsating through our bodies from the top of our head to the soles of our feet. The life of God. Oh, hallelujah to Jesus. Glory to God. Hallelujah to Jesus. That concludes this message. For more information about Kenneth Hagen Ministries, call 1-888-283-2484 or visit our website at www.rhema.org or write Kenneth Hagen Ministries, Post Office Box 50126, Tulsa, Oklahoma, 74150-0126. And in Canada, write Kenneth Hagen Ministries, Post Office Box 335, Station D, Etobicoke.
Toronto, Ontario, Canada, M9A4X3. 